with a message from God's Word, here's Charles Stanley. Would you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I want us to begin reading in verse 18. And I want you to listen very carefully, because all of us talk about the cross, we sing about the cross, we believe the cross, but do we understand the true message of the cross as God is giving it to us in Scripture? And of all the passages, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, Paul begins to unfold the real truth of the cross when he begins by saying, For the word, or the message of the cross, is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it has been written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the most clever I will set aside. So where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed Jews ask for signs, Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block, to Gentiles foolishness, but to those who the call, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now, the cross is not only the symbol of the Christian faith, it is the central doctrine of the whole Christian faith. It is the key symbol, but it is the central doctrine of the whole Christian faith. And the primary reason that many people are saved early in life, later in life, go through life living in defeat, living in the flesh, living in carnality, is because they have either only been taught one side of the cross, only understand one part of the message, or are in total ignorance of the place of the cross in the life of the believer. Now, most of us have seen crosses from all sizes. Some folks hang them on the wall uh, in their homes, or you'll see them plastered on the church building somewhere. The most frequent place that I see them here lately is you see them hanging around on people's necks. Now, I'll remind you of something of that in a minute. Every once in a while, you'll find one somebody keeps in their pocket, and they say, oh, I keep that for good luck. Let me tell you something. A New Testament Christian would never have hung one of these around their neck. You know what that would be like? hanging an electric chair around your neck today. Because the cross to them was a symbol of horror and the most painful form of death that anybody could ever fashion. And therefore, to hang a cross around their neck would be like our putting an electric chair around their neck. They would never have done that. It was a symbol of death, shame, and suffering. And so when we come to the cross, we ask ourselves the question, is this just something we sing about? Something we talk about, we hang it around, wear it around our neck, put it in our pocket. You see rings with crosses on them. We talk about it, sing about it, but do we understand the meaning of the cross? Listen to what Paul said about the cross. He says, if you'll notice in the 17th verse of this same chapter, For Christ 
did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, that the cross of Christ should be made void. That is, he said, God didn't send me to preach the gospel in a way that the cross, which is the central theme of the whole Christian faith, would be overshadowed with something else and the true message lost. Secondly, he said, if you'll notice in second chapter, verse 1 and 2, he says, When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and what? Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He said, this is the only message I have, is the message of the cross. It's the only message I know. He says, I will not debate with the Greeks. I will not debate with the Athenians about the philosophers. He said, the only thing I want to talk about is just one subject, and that is the cross, because he knew that that cross was the key to everything. Now, it's interesting to me, uh, on the steeples of most churches that have steeples, you don't see a cross You see a weather vane. Let me ask you a question. What in the world does a weather vane have to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is it up there for decoration? Somebody says, well, the weather vane changes. The wind blows this way, it points that way. It blows this way, it points that way. Does that mean that God's so changeable, you never know what way He's going to blow? That's not the purpose of it. The cross was not something that God gave us as a point of decoration. The cross is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When Paul said, if you'll notice here, he said in this 18th verse, For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. The message of the cross. Now listen to me carefully. If somebody said to you, what is the message of the cross? What would you say? Jesus died for my sins. Here is the message of the cross. The message of the cross is that God, seeing man in his helpless condition, God the Father incarnated himself through his Son in human flesh, coming into the world, growing up in physical flesh, going to a physical Roman cross as a substitutionary sacrifice for the sins of all mankind, and God the Father accepting His death as full, adequate, sufficient payment for all the sin of all mankind, and Jesus Christ having died for man's sin, buried and resurrected, seated at the Father's throne, the resurrection being God's way of validating God's acceptance of the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ on the cross. That is the message of the cross. It is the message of hope for mankind. So when we talk about the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ is the central doctrine of everything you and I believe and... Whatever we believe, it has to center around the cross. And you see, if you're off on the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ, if somehow you don't get that straight, my friends, you're going to end up in all kinds of theological error. Now, Paul said, not only did the Lord tell him not to come with eloquence of speech, not to come with cleverness, but you recall he said, notice in the Galatians chapter 6, in speaking of the cross and having shared with those Galatian Christians, speaking of their bondage, he said, having discussed that for some time, he says, I have come to this persuasion. 
He says, I have absolutely nothing to boast in but this. That is, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, is the only thing I have to boast in. He said, I can't boast in my heritage of being a Jew. I can't boast in my heritage of being a traditionalist among the Pharisees. I cannot boast of my eloquence. I cannot boast of my intellect. He says, the only thing I have to boast in is the cross of Jesus Christ, because therein lies my life and my hope, not only hereafter, but here and now. So to Paul, he said in that 14th verse, he says, therefore, I have crucified this world unto me and I unto the world. Now watch this. He says, as far as I'm concerned, he says, the world no longer has any appeal to me because I put it on the cross. He says, not only that, he says, the world's put me on the cross. That is, I am of no value to them. And when two dead objects lie side by side, they have no appeal to one another. And what he's saying is this, that the cross has an absolute twofold message, and the problem with Christians is this, we only have seen one side of that cross. We've seen the side that deals with their sins. We've not seen the side that deals with their life. And Paul in this passage in Corinthians is saying, the cross is the key, but there are three views of the cross. And the three views of the cross that were held in that day are the same three that are held today. And this is what I want you to notice. If you look, beginning in verse 22, he says, For indeed, Jews ask for signs, Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews of what? A stumbling block. The Greek says a scandalon, from which we get our word scandal. The whole idea of him dying was a scandal. And to Gentiles' foolishness. Now watch. He says there are three views of the cross, and the three views he laid out before the Corinthian church are the same three views that people hold today. First of all, he says to some, it is a scandal. He says it is a stumbling block. Now what did he mean by that? Simply this. Now watch this carefully. When Jesus came, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the people of their day had already decided, they had already formed a theological box. And in that theological box, they had decided how and what kind of Messiah would come. They were expecting a Messiah to come as a great deliverer. They were expecting him to break the yoke of Rome. They were expecting him to free and liberate the people of Israel. They were expecting him to set the captives free. In fact, all the things they expected of him, Jesus did for the most part. He didn't do it the way they expected him to do it. He did not do it on their time schedule, but indeed he did come to liberate and to free. They expected him to set up a kingdom. He did, but not their kind. He did everything they expected far more, except he didn't fit their schedule. Now, because he did not come as this warrior liberating them from Rome, their little theological box, Jesus didn't fit into that. He talked, for example, about turning the other cheek. He talked about going the second mile with a Roman. He talked about love. He talked about liberty and freedom. He talked about the kingdom of God being within you. And so what did they do? Because he did not fit into their little theological box, they rejected him. He didn't match up to their expectation of being the kind of redeemer or liberator they expected. So they rejected him. He didn't fit into their mold. He didn't fit into their pattern. He didn't fit into what was convenient to them. So they rejected him. 
Now, this is exactly what people are doing today. When we come to the message of the cross, people today say, well, now, here's my estimation of God. Today, people make a little theological box, and what they do is they say, here's what God's like. God is love, God is good, God is kind, God is merciful. And they pick out the attributes, watch this, they pick out the attributes of God that fit into their preconceived idea of what they want God to be like in order for them to live their life the way they want to live it without being uncomfortable or feeling that God is intruding on their lives. So what do they do? These people who believe in God say they believe in God. They come to the Bible just like this. They say God is love, yes. God is merciful, yes. God is kind, yes. God is good, yes. God would not send anybody to hell, no. God would not judge anyone, no. God is not one who condemns, no. And so they interpret God on the basis, listen, and if you have a God who's all sweet and all kind and never requires any accountability for anything, what does that give you to do? You just do what you please and you get in trouble. You just call on God. That is exactly the kind of God most of this world wants. They want a God that fits into their package who requires nothing but gives them plenty of freedom to do and to live and to be as they choose. And so they come to the cross, and the cross talks about death, suffering, shame. They say, oh, no, no, no. God is a God of love. He would never have sent His only Son to down the cross. If He's a God of love, well, how could He stand back while they put spikes in the hands of His Son? How could He sit in heaven and do nothing while they shove a javelin in His side? How could He say nothing when they shoved a crown of thorns on His head? Oh, that's not God. And so the world today stumbles over the cross. They stumble over the cross because the cross says that man is inadequate, that man is a sinner, that man is a fallen creature, and without the redemptive blood of Jesus Christ and the substitutionary death of Christ on the cross, man is hopelessly and helplessly lost. Oh, they say, no, no. I believe God is this way. And so we come to the cross and we say, listen, the Bible says without the shedding of blood, without the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, there is no forgiveness of sin, and the world bucks at that today. Now, let me show you something, if I might. When you look at that and you say, well, now, I can understand the cross being a stumbling block to some degree to a lost man, because he wants to be better and to be good and to do good. And so he says, well, if I do better than I've been doing, and I am better than I have been, and my habits are not as bad as they used to be, and I'm getting... You mean to tell me that God is not going to accept me the way I've improved and the kind of life that I'm living? What he doesn't understand, he doesn't understand the big gap. He doesn't understand that all of man's good efforts will never be able to put him into an acceptable position before God. Now, you and I can understand that. The lost man stumbles over the fact that he must be willing to confess and repent of his sins and trust in a Christ whom he has never seen and his substitutionary death on the cross. That man has a very difficult time seeing how that could make any difference in his life. So he stumbles over the fact that it means confession and repentance and surrender and yieldedness to God through His Son, Jesus Christ. But now, my friend, what about the believer? Not only does the lost man stumble over the message of the cross, but the believer stumbles over the message of the cross. Because, you see, the message of the cross for the lost man talks about his sins. 
The message of the cross for the believer talks about and speaks about his life. Now, what does he mean when he speaks about our life concerning the cross? Remember what Paul said? Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives within me. Wherever Paul went, he was talking about living a crucified life. The cross to him was not decoration. The cross to him was indeed the beginning of life. It not only took care of his sins, it took care of his life here and now. Now watch this. How is it that the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ is a stumbling block to believers today? When you say, well, I, I know that I've been forgiven by the shed blood of Christ on the cross. How is it a stumbling block? Because it is the cross life. It is the believer coming to the cross. Paul says, I have been what? Crucified when? Where? How? With Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives within me. And the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. What in the world did he mean by that? How is the cross a stumbling block to believers when we say our hope of salvation rests upon that? How can it be a stumbling block to believers? And here's the way. Our God said that he died on the cross for our sins, but not only that. The cross of Jesus Christ had another side. Paul said when he died, what? He said when he died, I died. What did he mean by that? What is the place of the cross in your life now that you've been saved? Now that you know that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Listen to what he says in Romans chapter 6. He says beginning in verse 6, knowing this, that our old self, that is what we were and who we were before we were saved, was once and for all crucified with Christ, that our body of sin may be done away with, that we should no longer be the slaves of sin, and he who has died is freed from sin. Now watch this. Here's the message of the cross for believers. Listen, he says as an actuality, that is, this is a truth that has already been completed, that when Jesus was crucified, you and I were crucified. When you and I were saved, that became a reality in our life. When you and I were saved, we took upon ourselves that which is true and was always true. What we have a problem with is how do we experience what God says has already happened? He didn't say, I'm going to be crucified. He says, I have been crucified. When you and I were saved, the Holy Spirit came into our life. God put us on the cross, so to speak. And what he wants to happen in your life and my life is for us to live out in actual reality the cross life, which is a life that we will do everything in our power to avoid at all costs. We will scratch and we'll pull and we'll claw and we'll do everything imaginable. Blame, blame, anything we can do to keep from coming to the cross. That is coming to the end of ourselves, whereby we're willing to say, Lord, you have permission to do anything with my life you want to do. I am accepting by faith the living reality that when Jesus died, I died, the power of sin was broken. I don't have to live a roller coaster life any longer. I can live in the freedom and the joy and the power and the unction and the anointing of the Spirit of the living God, living in the freedom and the deliverance that Jesus Christ made possible for me when he said he came to set the captives free. He says the power of sin has been broken and I am free to live that life of rest in him. Now, here's the tragedy. The cross upon which Jesus Christ died was absolutely essential for my salvation. There was no other way. 
God the Father, in order to be just, had to pay man's penalty, which was death for our sin. So what did he do? He sent his son to the cross. That was absolutely essential for redemption. Now, in order for you and me to live the kind of life that God has provided for us, in order for us to live in liberty and freedom, my friend, we must go to the cross. We must take our position there. We must accept the position there. And that is, we must accept the fact that when he died, he says, we died. That isn't just a theological position. It is an actual reality in the heart of every person. It is not only positional, it is experiential in the life of every person who is willing to say, Lord Jesus, I know you died. You said when you died, my old self was crucified there. Therefore, by faith, I accept my position on the cross. I accept the living reality of Christ within me, the power of sin broken. I accept your right to have your right in my life. I surrender my rights. I give up my rights. I do not cling to my rights. I, in utter desperation, say to you, Lord, here is my life. Do with me as you choose. Be in my life what you choose. I surrender my rights. I give up my right to myself. I want you to be free to live your life within me and my friend. What at first may seem a tragedy of the cross becomes the instrument of freedom and liberality. And you see, what the Roman world saw as the most horrible form of death available and possible, God the Father saw as the instrument of man's hope and his redemption, the cross. Now, here's the problem. How many of us like to come to the end of ourselves? Not anybody I've ever met. How many of us want to live in weakness? We don't want to live in weakness. We want to live in strength. If we have weaknesses and strengths, what do we want to work? We, we want to live out of our strengths. But the Bible says we're not to live out of our strengths, but out of our what? Our weaknesses. Paul says, listen, he says, I've discovered that when I am the very weakest, then am I made what? Strong. He says, I experience the power of God in my weakest moments. What is God trying to do? Build us and make us stronger than ourselves? God the Father wants to bring us to the utter desperation whereby we say, Yes, Lord Jesus, I accept my position on the cross as crucified. I depend upon no strength and no right of my own. I cease to claw and to clamor. I cease to clamor for my rights to say, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. You know where God wants to lead every single one of us? He wants to lead every single one of us by experience to the cross whereby we are willing to die to every dream, every goal, every image, everything that we had to say, Jesus, you not only went to the cross in my behalf, but you deserve my total life as you desire it, my life plus nothing. And you see, what will we do? We will do everything in our power to keep from coming to the end of ourselves. We will do everything in our power to, to work in our own strength and manipulate and finagle and somehow we're going to make it happen when God says, I want death, I want surrender, I want yieldingness, I want you to give up. My friend, the message of the cross for the man who's lost is that his salvation rests in it. For those of us who are saved, listen, our victory comes through our willingness to assume our position and by faith, act, listen, accept the truth. And the truth is that when he died, we died. And the truth is that he's living within us. But listen, Jesus Christ is not Lord of my life as long as I am insisting on my rights. He wants us to give up and you say, but surrender seems to be so difficult. That's right, it is difficult. In fact, it's worse than that. He says, I'm not asking for surrender, I'm asking for death. 
Death. That's what I'm asking for. Death. And the last thing in the world you and I want to do is to die. We've got reasons and goals and ambitions and drives and hungers and thirst. And he said, no, I want you to die. That's what old Paul meant when he said, I've been crucified with Christ. He knew that in what appeared to be the most painful experience in the world was the hope of mankind not only for his salvation but also for his life here and now. Let me ask you something. I know you've been to the cross for salvation, most of you, but let me ask you this. Have you ever been to the cross and told him that you wanted his life in his way? Have you ever told him that you're willing for him to bring you to the end of yourself? That you're willing for him to exhaust every resource so that you have nothing to depend upon? Jesus, 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 Jesus only. That's exactly where he wants every single one of us. And my friend... That is the other side of the message of the cross, that we will do everything in our power to avoid. We say, but Jesus is a Jesus of love, and God is a God of love, and I don't believe in brokenness, and I don't believe God ever does anything like that to folks. I believe God prospers us and blesses us, and I believe what the Bible says about love, joy, and peace, goodness, and gentleness. Let me ask you a question. Out of what kind of life does all of that flow? Just one kind, friend, a crucified life. It is only out of a crucified life, a life that's been to the cross, that love and joy and peace and goodness and gentleness and self-control and patience, all of that flows out of a life that's been to the cross. And until that life gets to the cross, what is it? It's me and my own energy, doing my own thing, doing it my own way, having my own way, and fighting to the ultimate bitter end before I say, God, not my will, but your will be done. It's a stumbling block. It's a stumbling block to, to the lost man. It's a stumbling block also to God's people. Now, notice something else he says here. He says again in the same verse, he says not only a stumbling block to the Gentiles, he says to the Gentiles it's foolishness. Now, here's, here's the Greek mind. He was talking about the Greeks who loved to spend their time philosophizing and rationalizing and going back and forth with all kinds of philosophical ideas about life. He says the cross is foolishness to them. That's where we get our word uh, moron from, moria. He says it is empty and foolish. How is it that one man could die and could affect someone else's relationship to God? Now listen, if you will accept for just a moment, and if you'll just accept the intellectual man's viewpoint from a rational viewpoint, see if he doesn't have a case because he does. He says, now wait a minute, you mean to tell me that uh, history tells me that a carpenter, about 2,000 years ago, born up in, uh, down in uh, Bethlehem somewhere, or thereabouts, he would say, and grew up in Nazareth, a carpenter, you mean to tell me that his death 2,000 years ago has got anything in the world to do with my life here and now when I see all kinds of people with all kinds of religions believing all kinds of things and, and some people just seem to me they're just as good as the other folks and we have different viewpoints. How in the world can you prove to me that out of a book that uh, could have been written by a whole lot of different people, how can you prove to me that somebody's death 2,000 years ago has anything to do with me today? And from an intellectual point of view, he may think he has a very good case. But listen to what God says. He says in verse 19, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the cleverness of the clever, the most intellectual. He says, I set aside, invalidate, I reject it. He says, and listen, against the truth of God, where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish, empty, and void the wisdom of the world? Listen. What is the world doing today? Here's what they're doing. The world is exhausting its intellectual resources. 
It is inventing and compiling. It is doing everything in its power to do what? To help itself, to improve man, to do better, to be better, to accomplish more, achieve more. And what are we doing? We're just sinking deeper and deeper and deeper into our own destructive devices. Therein is the wisdom of man shattered against the hammer of the wisdom of God. Here's the intellect of man crumbling against the wisdom of God. Man has nothing to offer. God has the only solution to mankind. It is the cross. He says, the cross of Jesus Christ is foolishness from the world's point of view. But he says it's something else from God's point of view. Now, I want you to listen to this next point because here is the crux of the whole matter. Now, listen. He says, now, to some people, it's a stumbling block. It doesn't, God doesn't fit into their mold. Second, it's foolish. They can't reason it out. Thirdly, he says, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, listen, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, watch this very, very carefully because herein is the crux of the whole matter. He says the message of the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ, is a, the demonstration it is the expression of the wisdom of God. Now, I want you to think about something for a moment. In every other religion in the world, with no exception except for Christianity, every other religion in the world, how is man made acceptable before his God? Man is made acceptable before his God by his own works, doing better, improving himself, giving, working, slaving, fasting, self-inflicted suffering, all kind of things men do in order to get acceptance before their God. Listen, people will work, they'll go to church, they'll read the Bible, they'll pray, they'll do all kind of religious acts to get accepted before God. And so they work and they work and they work and they work and they slave at getting acceptance before God. And one of these days, most of them will say, oh, Lord, Here's what I've done. Here's how I've been. I wasn't the best person in the world, but this is the best I could do. Now, let me show you something. When he says that the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ is the expression of God's wisdom, let me show you something. If man's salvation or acceptance before God was based on man's works, man's efforts, man's giving, and man's doing, listen, the wisdom of the world says that's the way you get acceptance. But let me ask you something. Is it not true that the religions of the world and people who do not know Christ Jesus, they're working and slaving and trying and pleading and going about it all kinds of ways, but there's no assurance, there is no confidence, there is no peace, there is no joy, always searching, always looking, always longing. Let me show you something. Here is that most beautiful, divine, supernatural expression of the supernatural wisdom of God. God knew that if salvation was based on the works of man, man would never know when he was saved. How much work do you have to do? How long do you have to do it? How intense does it have to be? What kind of work do you do? How much do you give? How long do you give? How intensely do you give? How much money do you give? God knew that if man looked any other way, went about it in any other approach, any other fashion whatsoever, man would never be able to experience the confidence the assurance, the joy, the peace that is ours when we sing, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of the Spirit, washed in the blood. Confidence, 
boldness, assurance that our redemption is based not on what we do, but on what God has done. Listen, in the wisdom of Almighty God, He sent the cross into this world in order to send His Son to that cross in order that in His wisdom, man may have assurance of his relationship and of his acceptance before Almighty God and that strive and work all the years of his life and wonder, has my God ever accepted me? Brother, that is wisdom. And the world knows nothing about that kind of wisdom. Therein is the wisdom of God. He wanted us to have peace and confidence and assurance and boldness. And you see, watch this. If man, listen, if man works to save himself, then is his life God-centered or man-centered? It's man-centered. What is the humanistic philosophy of today? The humanistic philosophy of today, which is a religion within itself, says man is a capable being. He is sufficient within himself, and he does not need God. Humanism is a man-centered form of religion that worships the ability and the capacity of mankind. God the Father sent his only begotten Son as, as a substitution upon the cross in order to die for your sin and my sin, that our acceptance before God is based on nothing that we have done, listen, but on what he did, therefore the Christian faith is God-centered, because it is centered in a God who loved us and not centered in man who's trying to work for himself. There's the wisdom of God. Now watch this. God is holy. God is righteous. God is just. God is transcendent. That means He transcends the minds of man. He transcends the location of man. He is above and beyond all that He's created. He's God. Now, how can a sinful human being who has rebelled against truth, rebelled against righteousness, determined to do his own thing, how can that man in his sinful condition ever reach up ever reach up to get God. Listen, the very idea of who God is, God had to give to man because man, listen, man didn't come up with God. He says in this verse, if you'll notice, in verse uh, 20, 20 and 21, where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. Listen, the philosopher spends his time looking for the highest truth in life. God Almighty says, if you want the truth, he says, I'll send my son, my only begotten son, and he is the truth. He doesn't give us truth. He is the truth. The cross of Jesus Christ, my friend, is the bridge. And here we have a chasm, the world, and here's God. And here's what God did. God said, the only way you'll ever get to me is when I bridge the gap. And my friend, that's the only way anybody ever got to God. That's the only way any man will ever get to God, that God the Father in His love has bridged the gap, the chasm that separates God and man, and He bridged it in one way. And listen, there is only one way, and that way is the cross of Jesus Christ. Therein lies the wisdom of God, that man would not depend upon himself lest he be man-centered, that man would not try because he would never be able to make it, that God would do for man what man could never do for himself, expressing what? Expressing the great, supernatural, indescribable love of a great and holy God for sinful man. There is no other way, and God has provided you and me that way. He says, in the wisdom of God, because he loves us and because he wanted to give us a way that would work. That's what he did. Now, the world says, 
the rationalist, the intellectual says, now wait a minute. If God said in his word, if God said in his word, the soul that sinneth it shall die, and then he forgives that man just because he says so, how can this God be true to himself and forgive a person who's guilty? Because we say in the Bible teaches that justification means to declare the guilty not guilty. To be justified means to be declared not guilty. How could God, who is righteous and just and holy, look down on a guilty man and say, not guilty? How can God do that and still be just? How can he be fair? How can he be righteous? How can he be truthful when he says, the soul that sinneth it shall die, and he turns right around and doesn't let him die? How is it that God can do that? The only way God can do that again is the expression of God's divine wisdom at the cross, because here's what he says. God, in his holy attributes of divine wisdom and righteousness and holiness, seeing man in his helpless condition, what did he do? God the Father, having condemned man in his sin, having relegated him to a lost condition because of his vile wickedness and his rejection of God, God the Father, listen, who made the law, God the Father himself, who said the only atonement for sin is death, and all men have sinned, therefore all are unrighteous and all are condemned. God himself who made the rule came in the form of his only begotten son. And he, God himself, became the living sacrifice and payment for our sin. Therefore God could remain just having made the law. He himself paid the only price that could be paid. My friend, that's the cross. That's what it's all about not hanging it on the wall, though I think that's fine. It's not dangling around the neck, nothing wrong with that. Carrying it in the pocket, there's nothing wrong with that as long as you don't think it's something that's magic. It's not magic, it's holy. Friend, if it's a reminder of what Jesus has done for you, if it's a reminder, if you look at the cross, if you carry one in your pocket, or you look at it on somebody else, and you say, the reason I care this and the reason I wear this is because this cross just reminds me of who I am. I'm dead. I'm dead to my whole life. That cross reminds me of what I used to be and what I am now in Christ Jesus, who's alive in my life. Yes, I love the cross. Paul said, listen, he said, I'm crucified to this world. Listen, God wants you and me so alive, so alive in the cross life, so dead to this world that this world has no appeal to you and me. Listen, you're not going to have the attraction of the world if the cross is real in your life. You're not going to be clamoring for self if you're living the cross life. You're saying, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, because you're living in victory. The world doesn't understand that. But he says there are only three views of the cross. And my friend, when you and I see the cross the way God saw it, brother, it is the supernatural divine wisdom of God. And listen, not a one of us would want to change it. Amen? Wouldn't want to change that. Now, he says it's not only the wisdom of God, he says, but it's the power of God. Look to see what he says here. He says, but to those who are the call, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Listen, the power of God. Watch this. Here's a fellow, lived in sin all of his life, grew up in a home that knew nothing about God. Nobody read the Bible. Nobody prayed. Nobody took him to Sunday school. Nobody took him to church. Doesn't know anything about God living in sin, a broken life on drugs or alcohol or both. Coming to the end of himself at the point of suicide and somebody says to him, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. I want to tell you about the cross. I want to tell you how God sent his only begotten son of the world. And by his death on the cross, his blood paid for your sin. And because Jesus died on the cross, 
And because the Father accepted his death, I want to tell you, my friend, in your desperate and helpless condition, God will make a new creature out of you. He's not going to improve you. He's just going to make a brand new creation because the Bible says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I want to tell you, my friend, you can be a brand new person in Jesus Christ. And if you're willing to accept the atoning death of Christ on the cross, yield your life to him, confessing and repenting of your sins, turning your life over to him, I want to tell you today, the power of the cross is you'll be a new creation the moment you say yes to Christ. It is the cross. It is the message of the cross. It is the blood of Jesus. It is the hope of mankind. It is man's only hope. You may not have anything left right now but ashes. You may not have much left but just the dregs. You may look around and say, oh God, it's all over. I want to tell you, your life isn't all over if you're willing to come to the cross. When you come to the cross, it isn't just all over. It's death. But that death is your beginning of a new life. That is the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Dr. Charles Stanley, speaker on the In Touch television and radio broadcasts. To order additional copies of this message, or for a catalog listing available video and audio copies of other messages by Dr. Stanley, call toll-free 1-800-323-3747. Or place an order online when you visit our website at intouch.org. If you prefer to write for more information, our mailing address is In Touch, Box 7900, Atlanta, Georgia 30357. If outside the USA, please contact your local In Touch office. This has been a production of In Touch Ministries, Atlanta, Georgia.